and me and everybody else living in this country are feeling the pain. And the media can try to ignore it, can kind of mitigate it. It's not going to work. This is the biggest disaster I have seen for a president since the Jimmy Carter gas line situation in the 1970s. So those of you who were around back then, you know, you had to wait in long lines just to fill up your car. And that sunk Carter. Now, Biden, uh, you know, it's nice he's going to the party and I'm glad he's in the spirit. But maybe you want to make a statement to the people about the roaring inflation. Maybe just a little, because the last time that he'd said anything was more than a week ago. And here it was. Go. It's a real bump in the road. It does affect families. When you walk in the grocery store and you're paying more for whatever you're purchasing, it matters. It matters to people. When you're paying more for gas, although in some states we've got the price down below three bucks a gallon. But the point is, it's not gone down quickly enough. But I think it will. I think it will. Based on what? Based on what? I mean, you're promoting legislation that would spend trillions of dollars. Where do you think those dollars are going to come from? Not from me. The Treasury Department is going to have to print them. All right, print more money to give to your administration so you can give it away to people. That's inflationary. Now, I don't think Joe Biden knows anything about economics at all. I don't think he knows anything. All right, surely he couldn't stand up to an interview about it. But this is just, okay, you don't do anything on a Tuesday. Nothing. You go to a party. And we have record-breaking inflation and people are going, what? What? Because working people, most working people don't have a big reserve. So the more money that goes out, yes, salaries are going up, but not nearly as fast as inflation. There is competition in the workplace. I mean, people need workers. So salaries go up, but not nearly as fast as this. And then Saki, who's supposed to provide some perspective, the presidential spokesperson, here's all she has. Go. Uh, it will ease next year. Uh, and that our supply chain issues and higher prices are rooted in the pandemic, which will subside as it gets under control. Rooted in the pandemic? Well, how so? We had the pandemic last year. At this time, when Donald Trump was president, there was no inflation. The, the pandemic was rooted, okay, from March all the way to December 2020. No inflation. But suddenly, according to Jen Psaki, the inflation under Biden is pandemic rooted. How does that work? And, and meantime, the, uh, the White House press corps sits there going, you know, it's not like, well, well, wait a minute. There wasn't any inflation during the real storm of COVID the first eight months. But now you're saying that inflation is, is the pandemic is causing it. It just makes no sense at all because they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. Now, the holiday parties on the Republican side, they should be going crazy and dancing around, all right, because 
This is going to sink the Democratic Party in the near future. I mean, people aren't going to vote for Democrats next November with this. And if you think there's a magic wand that the Democrats and Biden are going to wave to get inflation back down to, what was it, 2% under Trump? There isn't any magic wand. And if, if the Build Back Better passes, which I don't think it will, we'll deal with that in a moment, okay, that's just going to fuel the inflation fire. Any economist knows this. It's just, I'm sitting there going, is there anybody in the administration, anyone at all, who has any clue? I mean, open borders, Afghanistan, highest inflation rate ever. Is there anybody who knows what they're doing? And the answer seems to be no. Okay, Uh, build back better. So Schumer now is saying, oh, probably not going to get it done before Christmas. Now, three days ago, we were not going to get it done. But Chucky finally realizes that in the middle of this inflationary spiral, not only Manchin and Cinema, but a lot of the other Democratic senators are going, you can't vote for this. So Manchin is the main guy. He's the Democratic senator from West Virginia. Here's what he said yesterday. Well, whatever we're considering doing or whatever uh, Congress is considering doing, they should do it within the limits of what we can afford. And that means uh, having a tax plan that's uh, uh, fair and equitable and keeps us competitive. Key word, keeps us competitive. Manchin is just signaling he's not going to vote for a giant corporate tax raise. He's not going to do it. I mean, whatever uh, we're considering doing, you don't know, Joe? I mean, come on. This isn't going to happen anytime soon. And I said that back on December 1st. Go. So let's get the Build Back Better bill, okay? Heard anything about this this week? That would have worked. It's not going to get done this year. All right, so Biden was saying, oh, it'll get done in October, it'll get done in November, it'll get done in December. No, not going to get done. I don't think it'll ever get done. They'll have to drop it from $1.7 trillion to $1.2 trillion for it even to be considered. So I'm not an oracle. I mean, all I am is a common sense, simple man. You know, I look at what's happening in the country and you can't pass. And if you, if you follow this stuff, and very few people do, the Congressional Budget Office comes out. This week, and it says, look, all these estimates that Biden's given you a bull. It's going to cost 10 times as much. All this build back better stuff and uh, climate change stuff. And all this is going to be way more than this. And, and, and that's the Congressional Budget Office. Those are people in charge of, of telling the politicians how much it's really going to cost. Of course, press doesn't cover that because that would make Biden look bad. All right. Meanwhile, back at the January 6th committee. So one of the, uh, I think the most important thing we did in Florida for the Trump O'Reilly history tour was basically get on the record without any doubt at all that President Trump called for the National Guard to be deployed on January 5th, one day before the Capitol riot. And that has been established now. All right. Because of the interview that I did with him over the weekend in Florida. But now the pivot from the January 6th committee, which is solely in business to take Trump off the board if he wants to run again. That's that's what this committee is is doing. Okay, so now their their uh, thrust is 
while he didn't act quick enough to quell the riot. Okay, and, and maybe that's true. I'm going to talk to you, uh, President Trump, about that in Houston and Dallas's upcoming weekend. So maybe that's true. Right, we'll see what he has to say. But that's the goal now, okay? So he didn't act quickly enough. And um, Mark Meadows, the uh, former White House chief of staff, is, being, is under subpoena to appear just to answer that. This, this um, inciting the, the uh, riot at the Capitol, that's gone now because of the National Guard thing. Now is he didn't act fast enough to tamp it down when it happened. Um, so Meadows says, look, I'm not going in. And then uh, yesterday, the committee voted 9-0 to hold him in contempt. Okay, it's an executive privilege play the Supreme Court will have to decide. And based upon the executive order that Barack Obama signed, saying that presidents who leave office still have executive privilege, the Supreme Court can't rule any other way other than for Meadows and Trump and anybody else involved with the Trump administration. It's impossible. Can't do it because they had Obama. Order is still in the books. Okay, so that's where we are there. By the way, Meadows has sued Nancy Pelosi because she's in charge of this committee um, on the executive privilege question. And that's what will get into the Supreme Court very quickly. Okay, media corruption. Now, I I do this every day. I'm sorry to be boring. I don't want to do it every day, but I have no choice. So we reported uh, yesterday that on Friday, last Friday, the biggest story in the land, in the country, by far, was the Jesse Smollett guilty verdict. Okay? There was not a bigger story. It wasn't even close. The Kentucky tornadoes didn't happen until the weekend. Okay? So, everybody was covering it, but not MSNBC, run by NBC News. So, from 7 o'clock in the evening until midnight. That's prime time and more. Not one mention of the Jesse Smollett verdict on MSNBC. That's, I have never seen anything like it. Again, this is NBC News. Didn't mention it. Total blackout. Why? Because 24% of MSNBC viewers are African-American, according to Uh, Public Opinion Strategies Market Research Study. All right, 24%. And from the beginning, MSNBC said Smollett was innocent, that Trump people beat him up and wanted to hang him over and over and over. So then when the verdict comes in and he's guilty, we don't mention it. I mean, it's incredible. So that was on the back of Chris Cuomo get booted out of CNN, and Chris Wallace leaving abruptly, to say the least, Fox to go to CNN. And now we have Brian Williams pending. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to CNN, but I think he's got another offer someplace else. To put all this confusion and corruption into perspective, who better than our go-to media guy, Bernie Goldberg? high in the mountains of North Carolina, and he is the purveyor of BernardGoldberg.com. So where do you want to start? I mean, it's implosion in the uh, corporate media, no doubt about it. With, I want to start with your word corruption, which is the exact correct word. Let, let's, let's take the Chris Cuomo case. 
Um, I have said very publicly in the past that you can't cover your friends because there are too many conflicts of interest. And if you can't cover your friends, you sure as hell can't cover your brother. Uh, you can't be someone who's mapping out strategy because you have to be honest with your audience as to whether he should have been fired or not. I don't care one way or another. And the reason I don't care is precisely because of what you just said about MSNBC. The corruption at cable news, not just MSNBC, but all of cable news is so extensive that the Chris Cuomo thing is just one aspect of it. If they fired him, that's okay with me. If they didn't, that would have been okay with me. But the corruption of cable news in general is much bigger than Chris Cuomo. All right, but you know how it works because you worked at CBS News for, I think, 75 years. I mean, you took over after McKinley was assassinated, and then you just went on uh, and on and on. So it's impossible for me to believe that Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN, didn't know that Chris Cuomo was helping his brother, Governor Andrew Cuomo. That is impossible. Am I wrong? Well, the first, the, well, the first thing before I get to that, I have an alibi on when McKinley was shot. <laughs> I, I was not at the scene that day. I was I was at the gym that day. Look, what Jeff Zucker knew and what he didn't know this is another thing that doesn't register on my give a crap meter. And Bill, it's because the corruption is too widespread. I'll tell you what he did know. He did know that CNN can't get enough of stories that make Donald Trump look bad, but they don't want to do too many stories that make Joe Biden look bad. They don't do stories about the mess at the southern border, but they do stories about Donald Trump. That Zucker, what whatever he knew about Chris Cuomo, and I suspect you're right. I suspect that he knew more than he was saying, but he figured maybe we can get away with this. At some point he realized this is going south. I'm not gonna let it affect me, Jeff Zucker. Chris Cuomo's gotta go. Right. But he's not fixing the rest of the corruption at CNN and neither, neither are any of the other people who run cable news operations fixing the corruption at their outfits. No, because the corporations don't care. They just want as much money as possible. Now, exactly. CNN is rebranding, and that's what Chris Wallace is all about. Okay? So um, I was taken by surprise. Fox News was taken by surprise. They had no idea, all right, that Wallace uh, signed a deal with CNN. Um, and CNN, this is the first step in getting people that aren't crazy lunatics on the left to work for them. I think that's what's going on here, right? Well, I'd, I'd rather approach this from Chris Wallace's point of view. Why did he leave Fox News? He, he says he wants to do other things besides politics and CNN streaming service provides that opportunity. Well, Fox has a streaming service, Fox Nation. They would have provided that opportunity. He didn't want to be part of Fox News anymore. And his departure doesn't come in a vacuum. Just last month, two prominent conservative contributors, Jonah Goldberg, no relation, and Stephen Hayes left because they have had enough or they had had enough of what Fox News had become. And what it became was, as one person put it, the Trump administration in exile. And I'm pretty sure I have 
in fairness to your audience, I have no inside information, but I'm pretty sure Chris Wallace left, not because CNN provided him an opportunity to do other kinds of things, but because he was fed up with what Fox News had become. I don't know about that. Um, Chris is a social creature and the winds uh, in Washington where he lives and socializes are decidedly against Fox News. They always have been, but not to this level. All right, now now you have abject hatred of Fox News. It was tolerated when I was there. I still got access to Barack Obama and most Democratic politicians on the factor. Now, never. The hatred is so, so high. And that's because of Donald Trump. There's no doubt about that. So I think that Mr. Wallace got an offer that paid him commiserate with what he was making at FNC. And he said, hey, this is much better for my life in general. So I'm going over there. I think that's what happened. Yeah, but that's not much different. I'm, I'm just putting a few, a, a few emphasis, a little emphasis on, on Chris Wallace's side. He could have stayed at Fox. There was nobody wanted him out of Fox. Yeah, but if he didn't want to be part of what Fox News has become. And that is, as I said a few seconds ago, the Trump administration in exile. It wasn't that way when you were there, Bill. It wasn't that way when I was on your show as a regular. It no, is that we were way hard now. on candidate Trump um, and we were fair and, and treated him the same way. But I, I disagree with you in the sense that in Washington, D.C. now, if you work for Fox News, you're a pariah. Oh, I, I agree with that. You, and that wasn't the way it was five years ago. Okay. Do you, think, do you think Fox News is today what it was five years ago? No. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, it, the whole right. thing has changed. But the individual show that Wallace was doing, Fox News Sunday, and his commentaries on Brett Baer and others, they didn't change. He did exactly what he did forever and could have continued doing that. Fox News management didn't come to say to Chris Wallace, you better like Trump. Uh, they never did that. Um, and, and, and he was walled off from everybody else. So what other people on Fox were doing didn't directly affect him except in the social realm. You see my point? Yeah, I'm willing to accept that. But let me ask you this. How sorry do you think, and you probably have better information than I do. How, how sorry do you think Fox is that he left? It makes him look bad. I mean, it certainly does because he was a moderating force. The Trump people didn't like him, um, but he was only doing one show on Sunday. So it didn't matter. Um, but anybody, anybody who has been critical of Donald Trump, you could be a rock solid conservative. You could dislike everything about liberal Democrats in Washington. But if you said anything negative about Donald Trump, you were in Fox's crosshairs. And well, maybe not, not Chris there, Wallace, maybe uh, not Chris you know. Wallace. I'm, I'm willing to I'm willing to be on your be with you on that. Chris Wallace may have been bulletproof, but he was. But Fox News wasn't but a guy like Geraldo, he he's critical of Trump sometimes. They don't. You can, you can be a liberal and be critical of Trump, but you can't be a conservative and be critical of him. But here's here's the difference. There's no order that I know of and I'd know because my producers that I train, they're in still there over there. There's no order 
for anybody on Fox News to give Donald Trump favorable treatment. It doesn't happen, okay? They don't, you the don't need a memo, pe- Bill. What? You don't need a memo. Everybody has them. Everybody got the message. But they choose people to put on the air who are Trump supporters. Yeah, right. I mean, okay. But there's no order like MSNBC. We order you not to cover Jesse Smollett. That right. doesn't happen. See, that, that's, that's the difference, uh, the degree uh, of what's happening over there. But I agree with you that the whole tempo of FNC has changed, all right? And Chris Wallace didn't like the change. Right. And so he left. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, now, when you look at, first of all, I'm both angry and sad that traditional journalism has blown up and it'll never come back, in my opinion, in this country. Because these corporations don't care about information. They don't care about the American people. All they want to do is make money. Okay? So I'm angry because I see the corruption every single day. And I have to live it. I mean, just the Trump tour, the corruption on that, the reporting on that, was just staggeringly dishonest. And I'm sad because it hurts the country. Who who are we going to have watching these politicians now? There's nobody left. It, it doesn't make me angry and it doesn't make me sad, not because you're wrong. Every syllable you said is correct, but because I know that I can't do anything about it. It is so far freaking gone that I could talk. I'm talking into the wind when I complain about this stuff and I'm just tired of it. They have corrupted the news. And you know what? You know who gets away with with a lot of this? the audience, because they're giving the audience exactly what the audience wants. The audience wants corruption. They'll all say, the people listening to us right now will say, that's not true. I don't want corruption. I want honesty. No, I don't think so. Some of you do. Many of you don't. Many of you want your own views, your own biases, your own values shot right back at you as you sit at home and watch television. And that's why they do what they do as you as you. All right. But all of the know. audiences are dwindling now. All of them are, are, are they're all going down so that, yes, you're correct. There are some people who want to hear uh, their own beliefs parroted right back at them. But it's the golden age of cable news. And I invented it is over. And network well, news is even worse. Well, I can, worse. I, I can tell you why you're right. I'm just one person, but I can't count how many people have come to me and said, I can't watch that anymore. That's right. That's absolutely right. And it's the same every night. All right. Go, uh, BernardGoldberg.com is a good website for you to go because Goldberg's a feisty guy and, and he, uh, he writes what he believes and then you can kick it around. And so that's what a good website does. But I, I, I noticed that Unlike BillOReilly.com, which has this magnificent Christmas store, you don't have a Hanukkah store on BernardGoldberg.com. I was expecting, you know, to get some nice Hanukkah gifts. No, that's not true. We sold out of all of our menorahs and our skullcaps and all the Jewish stuff. We sold out of that years ago. There There are so many Jewish people watching cable and watching your show and watching my website that we just sold out. I can't, I can't get enough. 
It's you know what? It's and the, the supply it's chain problem. It's you the supply you chain. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Bernie. Supply chain I, problem. I, I think Hanukkah is over, but I hope you had a good one. I hope you have a great holiday and we really appreciate you coming on. Merry Christmas to you, Bill. OK. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA with more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers? I have their trees and plants at my home and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? Finding fast growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. With fast growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to house plants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get a extra 15% off by using promo code Bill at checkout. So please go to fastgrowingtrees.com. Use promo code Bill at checkout. All right. The uh, Trump history tour goes to Texas on a Saturday at the Toyota Center in Houston, Sunday at the American Airlines Center in Dallas. Now, I'm very, very much looking forward to going down in Texas. As some of you know, I uh, worked there for two years in Dallas at WFAA-TV and WFAA Radio. Um, and I learned an enormous amount about Texas, about me, about journalism. Now, Texas right now is the most important state in the union as far as politics is concerned. All right, now let me make the case, and this is very important. Texas is the second largest state next to California. It has 38 electoral votes. There is a trend to go blue in Texas. It is primarily a conservative state, remains so, but there has been inroads made from the Democratic side, the liberal side. The press, generally speaking, in Texas is liberal. No newspaper, major newspaper, endorsed Donald Trump. They all endorsed Joe Biden, with the exception of Dallas Morning News, which didn't endorse anyone. Okay, the press and the local news is left wing in Texas, in San Antonio, in Houston, in Dallas, the three largest cities. Austin is very, very left wing town. Okay, now. Because Texas is so vast, the folks who live outside of the big cities are conservative, and therefore it remains a red state. But California, New York, and Illinois will never vote Republican on a national election. And that is 104 votes, electoral votes, those three states alone. If Texas were to go blue, that would be 142 electoral votes out of the 280 needed to be president. That would be in the Democrats' pocket. They wouldn't even have to campaign. Okay? That would just skew our democracy right out. And it would be almost impossible for a Republican to win the presidency if Texas flips blue. That's how important this state is. All right? And it's a battle zone um, for all kinds of things. Now, when I go down to Houston and Dallas, 
I'm going to change the Trump history format and open with the border because that is, I think, the biggest story outside of inflation in Texas. It'll be very interesting to have President Trump give us uh, a unique view on how he did secure the border and how tough it was to do that. So that's what we're going to open up with. So joining us now from Dallas is uh, Dr. Matthew Wilson. He's the director of the Center for Faith and Learning at SMU, Southern Methodist University, and he teaches political science there as well. So uh, we're pleased to have you. In my description of Texas, am I making any mistakes? No, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I think Texas remains a state that leans right, leans Republican, uh, but not to the degree that it once did. And so it really is a linchpin for the future of American politics and the party balance in this country. Now, what has driven it left? There are a variety of things. Uh, part of it is demographic change. So Texas is a majority minority state that is African-Americans, Asian-Americans and Latinos together comprise a majority of the population of the state of Texas. So that demographic change has been an important factor. The other thing is that the uh, democratic trend in the suburbs of Houston and uh, of of uh, Dallas and of San Antonio uh, has has worked to the Democrats advantage as well. So you put those things together and that's what's made Texas more competitive in recent years. Now, a lot of people are moving to Texas from California and other liberal states because Texas obviously doesn't have a state income tax and is much more business friendly. Those people bring their liberal sensibilities. Are you seeing that? Uh, you know, people talk about that a lot, but the data actually suggests that that's not really the case, uh, that actually people who have moved into Texas from other parts of the United States are a bit more Republican than the rest of the electorate. So uh, the Texas move towards a more competitive politics is really not primarily about people moving in from out of state because some of them do bring conservative sensibilities because they have seen things in places like California that they really object to and don't want to see replicated in Texas. Okay. So Texas's political future lies in the hands of Latinos. And a recent poll said that they're pretty much evenly divided, Latinos are, between the Republican and Democratic Party, 37% each. Uh, I noticed that in Starr County, down on the border, uh, that went for Trump. And I don't think it's ever been voted uh, Republican before. It's always been a Democratic county, but because of the chaos on the border, um, uh, people down in the border regions are getting more conservative or supporting Republicans in greater numbers. So do you believe that the Republicans have a chance to persuade Latino voters in Texas that their party is the one that Latinos should support? Absolutely. And this is really the story politically in Texas going forward. And I would argue it's one of the most important stories in American politics going forward is what happens with Hispanic or Latino voters. Um, the whole story we've been hearing for two decades about the emerging Democratic majority rests on the assumption that Hispanics continue to vote two to one for Democrats. That did not happen in Texas in 2020. And Republicans don't think it's going to happen in Texas in 2022. They see significant inroads, particularly with the Tejano communities uh, along the border. And if Republicans can break even with Hispanic voters, that's game over for the Democrats uh, okay. because Republicans so, are going to win the Anglo vote in Texas. Right. So if they I mean, break even in Hispanic communities, then, then that is a huge, huge asset to the GOP. 
Now, you have Beto O'Rourke challenging the incumbent governor of Texas. Uh, that election is next November, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. How do you see that as it stands now? I see Governor Abbott having a strong advantage in that race. Uh, you know, Beto O'Rourke gave Ted Cruz a bit of a scare in 2018. But things are different in 2022, they will be, than they were in 2018. It'll be a stronger Republican year nationally, by all indications, whereas 2018 was a pretty strong Democratic year nationally. Um, and some of the bloom is off the rose of Beto O'Rourke. Um, he was really kind of a phenomenon and a celebrity in 2018. People talked about Betomania on the campaign trail. Uh, but after his failed presidential bid, there's not quite the same level of excitement in the electorate about Beto O'Rourke. Uh, plus, he's going to be running against a very well-funded uh, incumbent Republican governor in a year that should lean to a Republican advantage around the country, including Texas. I would be very surprised if he were able to unseat Governor Abbott. Now, O'Rourke is a, a fairly uh, far-left guy, is he not? Right. Yeah, certainly to the left of the median Texas voter. I think that's safe to say. All right. Final question. When I worked down there uh, in Dallas, it was not a liberal media, generally speaking. Um, now it is in Texas. How did that happen? Well, I think it mirrors trends that we've seen around the country that just disproportionately, by and large, and there are exceptions, but by and large, people who choose to go into the career of journalism lean to the left. And so Texas media today just look a lot more like uh, national media around the country, where the, the predominant political sentiment is pro-democratic and, and is on the left. And, you know, people control that with professionalism to varying degrees. Some do a good yeah, job of right. that and of being neutral, others don't. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's, it's bad in Texas, the media, as it is in New York and California, and, but I suspect it is. Um, we're not letting any press into, uh, you know, they, if they want to come, they can come, they have to buy a ticket uh, into the uh, history shows of Donald Trump because we know we're going to get ripped no matter what happens. Uh, and I expect that to happen in the Houston Chronicle, Dallas Morning News. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, uh, but I would be very shocked if we get a fair treatment down there. Last word. I, I would say that the... the media have been uh, particularly critical of President Trump. They they will continue to be largely critical in his post-presidency. But what I'll say about Texas and about Texas politics is look next year at what happens with Hispanic voters in Texas. If Republicans do well among the Latino vote in Texas, that bodes well for the GOP, not only in this state, but around the country in the years to come. And Democrats see that erosion of Hispanic support as a five alarm fire, and they are very concerned about it, and it definitely well, it bears be. watching. I mean, inflation hurts working class people. There's no doubt about it. Hey, doctor, mm -hmm. we really appreciate your expertise. You were a great guest. Thanks for helping us out. Thanks for having me. Okay. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver.
start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. All right, so there's a poll by YouGov. I don't know what YouGov is, but they did a 42,000 people survey across 38 countries. Asked a very simple question. Who do you admire most in the world? Let's go with the men uh, up top. I should do the women first, but we'll do cross it up, put it on the screen. Top five most admired men. Uh, number one, Barack Obama. Uh, number two, uh, Bill Gates. Now, I don't really get Bill Gates. Yeah, okay. He's a tech guy and everything, but do I, do I admire Bill Gates? No. Now, three is shocking. President Xi of China. Now, this guy is a killer. And, you know, you know about the Uyghurs and the concentration camps in Western China. This guy's a killer. What he did to Hong Kong and the people there wanted freedom. And he's the third most admired people. in Which how screwed up this world is. All right. The fourth most admired is soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, he kicks uh, a little round ball. And the fifth is actor... Jackie Chan. I like Jackie Chan. All right. I like him. But shows you what the Chinese influence is here with Xi and Chan. Um, But do I admire Jackie? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't unadmire him. Is that a word? Unadmire. But, you know, in a world where so many people are helping so many other people. No, Chan, he's an entertainer, and all right. So uh, the women. Let's throw the women on up. First is Michelle Obama. The Obamas, obviously, worldwide, very popular. Uh, Second, I don't get it, Angelina Jolie. She, I guess, adopts a lot of children and does humanitarian work. I don't really follow her very closely. Third, Queen Elizabeth II. I do understand that. Uh, it's a woman with dignity in her mid-90s, still kicking. Uh, fourth, Oprah Winfrey. Um, okay. Uh, I think Oprah does a lot of good. I'm not exactly sure, but I think she does. 
And then fifth, I have no idea, Scarlett Johansson. Now, why she is most admired, I mean, nice-looking woman, I don't know. Uh, some other notables on the list, Donald Trump clocked in at 13, Pope Francis at 16, and President Biden at 20. So Trump beat uh, Biden by seven on the most admired list. On the women's side, Vice President Harris at 11, Hillary Clinton at 12. So, you know, I, I'm not disputing uh, the YouGov survey, I, I think probably, but President Xi? I, I, what is there to admire about this man? I... I I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so here's the final thought of the day. I, I, I don't look it, but I was very, very angry for the last 24 hours by this total lie that Newsweek magazine put out. Now, the smear pipeline, the hate Trump pipeline, is Newsweek magazine to the Daily Beast, to the Huffington Post, and that out to the news aggregates like Yahoo News and things like that. There's a pipeline, okay? So no matter how many people were in the building, and I told you the stats before, colossal amount of ticket sales, this was going to be a failure to these people. Now, the woman who runs Newsweek, and remember, Newsweek folded. They couldn't sell any magazines, so now they're just on the Internet is Nancy Cooper, okay? She's a former MSNBC person, which tells you all you need to know. So she is basically uh, supervising all the hate Trump stuff, this woman. I don't know where she lives. I'm not going to do that. But I want you to know who she is, all right? And when it gets out there and you try to correct the record, so I called a number of agencies and said, look, I'll give you an interview. Now, I did Glenn Beck, and Beck has been magnificent, by the way. That's on BillOReilly.com, that radio exchange. But I offered, none of them care. None of them want to correct the record. I said, I'll show you <laughs> what the, uh, the audience is, what the gross is, and nobody in the world, as I said, could get this. And you're saying it's a bomb? You're saying it's a disaster? That's a lie. You're lying. But here's the most important part of this. Nobody's going to hold them accountable. They can lie whatever they want. Okay? Uh, Donald Trump and I talked about this. 
If you're famous, you can't sue. Now, this is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union in the 30s and in Nazi Germany. It's exactly what happened. Stalin and Hitler took over the press and just lied about everything. And nobody could stop it. And there were no counter voices. So you're not going to see me on the CBS Morning News or any of that. You're never going to do that. Because they want, first of all, they don't want to hear from me ever again. But they don't want Donald Trump to be successful in anything. And if he starts to take on momentum, they're going to lie about it. Now, this is so horrible for the nation. It, it, and I'm looking at it a big picture why I asked Doug Brinkley. When you have this kind of a situation where everybody's on the Internet reading these news aggregates, it was and I gotta, I've got to give Matt Drudge a compliment. Drudge had it up. And then my folks said, this is a lie. And provided the, and he took it down. Drudge took it down. But he was pretty much the only one that did it. It's, you know, you you just, you get to a point where if Americans don't know the truth, they can't make responsible decisions. You can't. Which is why I wanted to get on the record all of this stuff, and I am just amazingly pleased that more than 30,000 people spent, at, these tickets were not cheap. They good money, and it'll, by next Saturday, it'll be 35,000 because those Houston and Dallas tickets are going. They're moving. And I booked these big, big arenas because I want as many people to see the shows as possible. So anyway, I hope I don't, I'm not coming across as whining. I am bitter. I'm absolutely bitter at the decline of the media, the corruption of the media in America, because it is going to get worse, not better. There's no solution to it. Congress can't do anything about it. Local authorities can't stop it. They can say what they want to say. And if it's a lie, they don't care. Think about how dangerous that is. Think about the totalitarian societies that have come about because of the dishonest press. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this program. I really appreciate you watching. We will be back tomorrow.